listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, welcome. Uh, it's great to be with you today. My name's Mark, um, and we are kicking off a new series today. This new series is called Come Back Stronger. And really, this is the heart that we feel God has for our church at this season. Uh, This interruption into our normal patterns, this moment when so many things in the world has been paused. One of the metaphors that uh, we felt God sort of revealed to us during this time is that this period of, of quarantine and pandemic in many ways is like a kind of night. But in the midst of a night, there's actually a kind of work to be done. And eventually this pandemic will end, the night will disappear, the dawn will break. And the question is, how do we emerge from this time stronger? How do we lay the seeds of renewal that God was building in our hearts? How do we lay them at this time so that when we are able to meet again, when this period is over, that God can continue his work, but there's a work that he also wants to do during this time. So before we sort of, or as we start this series, I wanted to really just lay out, I guess, the broad parameters of how we see what God is up to at the moment. And I wanted to do this by, I guess, sort of showing an illustration. Um, and we've had lots of illustrations and uh, uh, graphs and different things over the years at Red. We haven't done them as much during this last season of scrambling as we've dealt with the new reality. But, ladies and gentlemen, they are back and back with force. Um, so... Um, we're actually going to put up the, the diagram that we're going to be bouncing the whole of this series off. And uh, this encapsulates really in many ways what we see our mission at Red, what God wants to do in the world at this moment. All of us live in these different elements of what it is to be a human and belong. All of us have a self and you can see that at the center of this illustration. We also all live in households and homes. We believe that God has created the church for his people to come together as the people of God and serve the world, spreading the gospel throughout the world and serving the poor and needy. And that is done as we encounter the community, the city in which we live in, the nations, the world, the global community. And intersecting with these different elements of what it is to be human We have this heavenly reality where we understand that Christ is King, where the presence of God, since that curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom at Jesus' crucifixion in the temple, means that the presence of God now goes out into the world. And thus in the world at this moment, between Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit This is the time of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit who God sent as a comforter and counselor and companion and guide. That is now. And then there's this, in a sense, call and response. As heaven calls, we as people of the earth respond. As people following Jesus, we live life in the Spirit. We are awakened to life with God. And we live these cross-shaped lives. 
And this is what the kingdom of God is, where heaven and earth intersects in this place. Now, these are the great things that God has been teaching as a church, what we were pushing into and have been pushing into as Red Church in the last several years, that overlap between heaven and earth. And the thing that God has done in the last few years is, I guess, developed in us a hunger for renewal, for God to break through with power and to see those heaven and earth realities, Christ as King, His kingdom breaking out, us living lives in the Spirit, to see that happen in all those spheres of what it is to be a human being. But also we've known that there is a challenge at play, that those values aren't held by the majority of our culture, that actually there's a different dynamic in the world. There's this other earthly reality, not the earthly reality of people transformed by the Spirit, but rather a worldly reality where the powers and principalities of the world are in control. And we can see in this next diagram that this is the reality in which we live, where Christ is not king. Instead, humans The self, the individual is king, where it's not a world drenched with the presence of God, that actually there's an absence of God. And that in a sense, instead of a life of discipleship, what is pushed to us is this kind of lifestyle where you live this out. You can can have your dreams come true. You can float above the clouds. You can have anything you want is the constant message promised to us by this kind of alternative of the kingdom of God. And in one of the last series that we did before this pandemic broke out, we worked through Dave Kimmon and Mark Matlock's book, Faith in Exiles, which came out of a bunch of research which said that in the West, increasingly smaller amounts of young adults, the millennial generation, are actually following that biblical vision for what it is to follow God and be a flourishing human being. They discovered that actually when you look at the amounts of people who are truly living that life, it's a small minority in our churches. Thus, there is a great need for something to change. And as a church, we work through this whole series examining what it is to live like a person of faith in a time of exile. Dave Kinnaman and Mark Matlock say this about the goal that they saw when they looked at the research before the church across so much of the world today. They say this, the goal of discipleship today is to develop Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the Spirit. So as a church, we then began to put our shoulder to the wheel to try and refocus and reposition and renew Red as a place which created resilient disciples. As a leadership team, as a staff team, we got together and began to say this stuff literally has to permeate everything that we do. Our goal, the reason we are put here at this moment is to create resilient disciples who become a remnant and out of remnant spring renewals at this moment. And so all of these different things, our services, our programs, our meetings, the energy of our staff, our volunteers, all work together to see this goal of resilient disciples birthed and made partnering with God, who will then be the foundation out of which a renewal comes. 
And if we go back to those interlocking circles of the ways in which we are organized as people, the way that we did that, the, way, the role that we play is that we can influence the one which is just the church. If you look at the one there, that's how we could influence. We could change our services up. We could put on different programs. We could go out and meet with people. But the sobering thing is, is that what the statistics tell us, and I know many other churches who are pushing into this, is that despite all of this energy, that we're in danger of losing 70% of the next generation of young adults who are coming through in the church. But then, unbeknownst to our planning, unforeseen coming over the horizon, what can only be described as a plot twist in the great drama of how we're going to build resilient disciples That earthly reality is flipped on its head as from somewhere in Wuhan in China, a virus escapes to the rest of the world. This tiny, invisible, microscopic thing then rapidly moves across an interconnected world. And we have an earthly reality, but it's changed. Instead of self as king, all of a sudden people very quickly in a matter of weeks understood themselves not as in charge of everything and radical individuals grabbing life and sucking the marrow out of it, all of a sudden we realize their own fragility, whether that's the fragility of your own health, whether that's the fragility of your economic backing, the fragility of your job. And when you've got a fragile self and then in a world with an absence of God, meaning all of a sudden starts to be something that people look for. Why is this happening? Who am I? What is going on in this moment? And instead of this vision of the individual as king who could move across the world, doing what they wanted when they wanted to do it, all of a sudden the new reality across the world is quarantine. And so the myths and idols of yesterday which we were working year after year to try and expose at Red, giving great sermons, arranging our programs, trying to do our ministry around the dismantling of these myths of the secular age, of pulling apart the damage that radical individualism was doing to the people of God. In literally two or three weeks, those idols were shown for what they are. Now, are they gone? No, they're still in play but their power has actually been exposed by a tiny, tiny virus in this incredible plot twist. Now, this is going to be, in a sense, the terrain that we look over the next few weeks. What does it mean now that this story has been interrupted? I don't believe God sent this virus, but I do believe that he's going to use it to continue his project to build resilient disciples, to build a remnant and for a renewal to come out of that remnant. And so I want to just drill into one element of this this week. And I want to begin with, I guess, a moment of reflection. 
We're past some of the emergency stages of this. We were scrambling for weeks here. And just as we were setting up before, there's an element. We're seven weeks in. There's an element of normality that begins to come. And you begin to be able to reflect away from just the constant scrambling. Andrew Sullivan, the uh, columnist in the New Yorker magazine, or New York magazine, actually, uh, said this uh, in the last couple of weeks. Of all the lessons that plagues teach us, surely the most valuable one is humility. Surely the most valuable one is humility. And as we approach this moment, there's a sense of humility that has come upon us as individuals. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I just wanted to just pause and talk about what that means for the church. When this first happened, we as the church used to, in a sense, being as church leaders in control of that circle, which is all those things we can control, services, programs, responses. We were like, this thing's come. How do we actually then respond? In a sense, how do we beat the virus? And last week, Terry Walling in the interview spoke about the fact that that's one of the first reactions that you have in a moment of transition. How do I actually beat it? Versus actually asking the question of what do we learn from this? What is God trying to teach us in this moment? And I believe this has been a profound moment of humility for many teachers, for many pastors, for many leaders in the church at this time. Where we realize that so much of the ability that we had to influence and affect change actually has been reduced in this moment. And we were set up. It looked in the first week, if we go forward one slide, like, here we go. Here we have this now battle royale between the heavenly reality as Christ is King. This is coming. And now all of a sudden, the The myth of radical individualism and our culture has been exposed and we're on top. And so we're going to be able to do the best programs. Our services are going to be incredible as people realize their weakness. Finally, we have this advantage over the enemy and we can program our way through this. But then something happened. Quarantine. The removal of large gatherings. They progressively got smaller. At first it was 1,000 and people were like, okay, well, that's just knocks out the mega churches. So churches under 500 were okay. And then it went to 500 and then it dropped to 100 and then it's dropped to 10. And then it just dropped to the point where all it has been is this reduction right down to this formula. Home. Self. And this has been a humbling moment for so many leaders. This has been a humbling moment where, in a sense, you feel like you're flying blind, where you can't influence out there. You can influence a service, in a sense, see where everyone's at. You've got your radar across the terrain to say. But at this moment, this has gotten incredibly cellular. And this is a humbling moment. And I want to share one confession, I guess, about six months ago, I was in a, a meeting of pastors here in Melbourne and someone brought up the issue of live streaming church services. And it went around the room and I had my response and it was pretty good. 
filled with sociological insight, filled with anthropological readings, filled with my opinion on the importance of being embodied and place and how video could work against that. And there was a, probably a critique of social media in there and all of this stuff. And I gave my response to what the future of church could look like with video and live streaming and left fairly self-satisfied in my own expertise and ability to look and be a guardian of these potential social trends which could undermine the church. Not long after that, I was in another meeting here at our office. Over the last couple of years, we've had the privilege of Persian people coming to worship with us in the church and connecting in with some leaders overseas and seeing the incredible thing that God is doing amongst Persian people across the world in Iran and as the Persian diaspora has gone out across the world where in the last 10 years, more Persians have become Christians than in the last 10 centuries. And so sitting with these leaders who are working with the Persian church across the world, I asked them, what, what, what are the strategies they're using? And they shared how in places like Iran, where many Persian people live, even other places like Afghanistan and places like Turkey, where many Persian people have fled to, It's not as easy to meet together, definitely not in places like Iran, where the government is persecuting, particularly house churches. That what means is that the church has gone into the household and you've got this mode of ministry and mission where you've got these two things, the household and then you've got people producing online content where someone preaches, maybe a small group of people worship, and this stuff is put up online and is going across the Middle East. And this is a model not just used by Persian ministries. This is a model used as people put out resources in Arabic into countries where the church cannot meet. This is happening in other closed countries in Asia, across the world, a combination of the household and online church. And so what's happened in the last few weeks is not that actually we have just all of a sudden gone online. What's happened in the last few weeks is we're now where so much of the church and the persecuted church has actually been for some time. And as I reflected on those two meetings, I left the first one probably self-satisfied with my own expertise and what I'm good at, which is reading culture and critiquing trends at the second meeting, I realized that actually I didn't have anything to say because they were in a very different situation. And what they were doing was embracing where God had them in a moment of weakness. And in that moment of weakness, that God was expanding his church. They didn't have a value of, hey, we should go online because it's the next whiz-bang thing. That was simply what they had to do to get the gospel out and disciple people at that time. So I want to just show you a video now in the middle of this sermon from one of the leaders of the Persian church who was imprisoned in Iran. And he spent a year in solitary confinement in a tiny cell, only a few feet by a few feet. And in this video, he shares what he can teach us currently in lockdown in the rest of the world. So listen and learn. And let's receive humbly what God wants to give us at this time, where we're not in control and other parts of the church are actually now leading us. 
My dear brothers and sisters, my name is Farshid Fatih and I was born in Iran in a Muslim family right after the Islamic Revolution. By, by the grace of God, in 1996, I got saved through the blood of Jesus. And since that day, I started to serve him as my Lord and my Savior. And I remember when in 2005, I started underground church in Iran. In five years, we grown up to 48 churches in all over the country. But unfortunately, in December 2010, they arrested me and all the leaders in Iran, and they kept me five years in prison and one year in solitary confinement and locked up room. And when I'm thinking about these days, because we are all in isolation and compare these days with the time I had in prison, just I wanted to tell you I have a lot to be thankful for because I remember my cell was a very small cell and I just was able to walk three and a half steps for going and coming. But now in my apartment today, I can walk 15 steps and I'm very much thankful that, for that. I remember I was telling myself, if I only had my Bible, if I only had a pen or paper to write down some things because I had nothing but three blankets. So, but today we have our Bible, we have his precious word, which is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. And we can read it and enjoy it. And not only this, we have many things to be thankful. I remember during my time in solitary confinement, I haven't seen myself in the mirror for 361 days. But today, the situation is totally different. I remember I had no news from my loved ones, especially from my children. But today, if I'm miss them i can call them i can facetime them and see their beautiful faces and ask them how are you so just i want to encourage you these days of isolation i believe is a time of thankfulness for for his goodness for what we have in our life not only that i remember when i was in solitary i discovered many things about myself about my character about his love i realized more than ever before when i was alone with him in solitary, I realized it's all about him. And it's, it was like a discovery. And in these days also, I believe, it's a time of discovery when we are at home. And just I wanted to encourage you, maybe God in these days is going to shift our eyes from the things we can see to the unseen things. Because what is unseen is going to be eternal. God bless you all. And it was a joy and privilege for me to share these few words with you. Hope to see you one day. Well, thanks to Elam Ministry for allowing us to show that and to Farshid for sharing this with us. And I hope you got the sense as I have had over the years, as I've met people like Farshid from many different places in the world, who as Christians have suffered for their belief, who don't have the resources that we often do in the developing world, don't have the freedom, yet have something which is incredible, one of the great confirmations of the gospel, the sense of humility and power. A man put in a jail, taken his freedom, having his freedom taken away. I saw another video where he, he shared that one of the ways that he entertained himself was actually he made a whole backgammon set out of an orange peel and a small cap from a water bottle. That was the extent of his resources, no Bible. And yet the church 
amongst Persian people is growing at this tremendous rate. There is something for us to learn, a lesson if we have ears. And so in this series of how do we come back stronger, how do we actually learn the lessons of this season, there is something I believe that we can learn from the persecuted church and people like Farshid. And I don't want to compare or say that our situation is like them. Yes, we're in quarantine, but as Farshid said then, we can still watch TV, we can walk further, we haven't got secret police knocking on the door, although we did have a neighbour the other day as we were live streaming, looking through the window, wondering if we were keeping the uh, social distancing laws intact. But one of the key things that I want to lay out for you now, that if we are going to come back stronger when... The quarantine lifts. It's one of those paradoxes. To come back stronger, we must realize our weakness. This is not about maximizing. This is not about becoming more high performance. As Terry spoke about last week, you've seen this. You've seen if you've gone on for a walk recently, there's more people going out and being fit and running up hills and buying bikes and doing online courses and learning how to cook and learning a foreign language. And again, too, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm packed up some things myself at this time. But what's not going to happen is you're not going to be able to supercharge yourself to a high performance Christianity with all of a sudden now I can do all those things that I couldn't do before and I'm going to become the best darn Christian doing every Christian things to the best of my ability. That is not how we come back stronger. We come back stronger when we realize that actually we are weak. And weakness is a word that our world actually is repelled by. We recoil at the world weak. We like to be seen as strong individuals who are capable. But there's a really interesting differential between weakness and fragility. Nicholas Nassim Taleb, who wrote a book called Anti-Fragile, which I just started rereading, which in many ways I think pointed towards what could happen if a pandemic or something like this took over the West and how would we respond makes this point that actually the problem is more fragility. We have discovered that what looked strong when there was no crisis all of a sudden is exposed when there is a crisis or a change happens. The country of Japan cut itself off from the rest of the world for centuries, believing that it was the strongest highest civilization in the world, that it was superior to every country around it. So it just closed its borders, didn't want to have anything to do with the inferior rest of the world and sat and stayed in their own sense of strength and superiority. That was until the American Navy and Commodore Perry turned up and all of a sudden the Japanese realized that they thought they were strong, but one guy turning up in a technologically superior ship in a second proved that they were actually weak. And this pandemic, this tiny virus has been like our Commodore Perry turning up and exposing this global system where you could fly from one side of the world to the other and seemingly be strong, where you could live this radical individual life and conquer it all and be free and do everything. But this fragile global system created fragile people. And maybe, just maybe, with all the resources, the freedom, the money that the church 
had in so much of the developing world. Maybe we created a fragile church system. And maybe that fragile church system was mirroring the world and creating fragile disciples. And see, the difference between fragility and weakness is actually the fragility is based on idols and myths. One way of understanding this, a little mathematical equation, is strength plus pride plus idols equals fragility. We had an idol in the world and a tiny little virus has exposed it. Our pride that we could create this world which is immune to such things, even when experts, there is a, a Time magazine cover from 2017. It said the next pandemic is coming. Are we ready? Many of you have watched the Bill Gates TED Talk where he said this is going to happen. Why did we do nothing? Because of our pride. And actually idolatry that we had got to this place in human history where we were superior and we could create this world. And I believe ultimately that is driven by a belief that we can create a world without God. The counter to this in Scripture goes a very different way. It encourages us not to be fragile, but it does encourage us to, in a sense, embrace our weakness In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10, Paul says this, and this is completely upside down to the values of the world. He said to me, Jesus, that is, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the verse that we need to clutch on to in this time. When no matter how hard we try, we can't beat this thing. This week, we had our Thin Places prayer meeting, which we've been doing the last few weeks since the virus kicked off. We're going to continue that, but at a once at a month rhythm. And I thought, watching it from home, that this week was one of the best that we've actually had. It was watching filled with the Spirit, filled with insights. But I realized where that came from. This week has been a difficult week for many parents as they've tried to homeschool their kids as the Victorian school calendar comes back, particularly primary school kids. If you've got more than one primary school kid at your home that you're trying to teach at the moment while doing your job, my hat goes off to you. This is not something you can just easily beat. So many people I know are struggling at this moment, trying to hold all this together. One of those people is my wife, Trudy, who leads the prayer meeting. And it got to the afternoon where she was sitting on the edge of her bed and I could see she just was beat by the day. I went up and put my hand on her shoulder and she said, this morning I got up, I was trying to prepare for school, I had to upload documents and I didn't even get my quiet time in today. I didn't even pray. These are things she would regularly do. She said, it's just been running ragged all day, the whole week. And she's like, I'm not prepared for tonight. 
And I said, Trudy, it's not the amount of practices you do at the moment. It's actually the posture that you have towards God. When you're weak, he is strong. So God's going to do something in the moment of this weakness. I literally then walked down the hall and hadn't got to the other end of the hall when Trudy came out of the bedroom and said, yes, it's like that woman who could only give those couple of coins. And Jesus said, this is worth so much more. And that was the teaching she went with this night. The band was learning their songs. There was a whole much weakness in the room. But actually that was meaning that the Holy Spirit came through in so much power. At this moment, when we are weak, He is strong. So the biblical little uh, uh, mathematical equation I have here is that when weakness plus humility plus Jesus equals strength. So what does this mean? Really quick, three things. The first thing this means is to come back stronger. We must reject our idols and realize our weakness. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Our idols, the things we rely on, the fact that you could crush it in your job, the fact that you could go and have lots of introvert time, or maybe you want extrovert time, or maybe you thought you were so much more robust and actually at the moment you're just feeling anxious. Maybe you're just feeling overwhelmed. In the midst of those moments, what's actually exposed is our expectations. In Farshid's video, he profoundly reframed our expectations, saying that he's looking at this lockdown and he has a spirit of thankfulness. Because when you're put in a prison for five years and you spend one year in solitary confinement, your expectations get radically shifted and centered around God's will for your life. The second thing, we can only come back stronger in His strength. Come back stronger is not about you getting stronger and more filled with will and doing this in your own energy. This is actually about coming back stronger in Jesus' strength. We are emptied, emptied so that we may be filled up by Him. And lastly, abiding is the key here. Abiding turns weakness into strength. Abiding is that staying on the vine. If Jesus is the source of strength, the key thing, however you do it, even if that's a couple of coins, even if that's a prayer, walking down a hallway because you're just so smashed at this time, it's actually abiding with God which turns weakness into strength. And so as a church leader who is weaker than he was before, I can't influence in the way that I could before. The team here can't influence in the way that we could before. To you who all of a sudden now find yourselves living that renewal dream, but doing it in a household or doing it just by yourself. There is this moment to be grasped, the power that comes when we realize our own weakness. And I want to just leave you with a quote. This is from Alan Hirsch, old pastor here at church, who is watching today. He says this, and this captures the opportunity of this moment. To learn how to play chess, start by removing your queen. Master the game without the best piece and then put the queen back and see how good you are. 
In the church, the Sunday service is our queen. Now the queen is off the board. It's time to rediscover what the other pieces can do. That other piece is you. That other piece is your household. It's time to rediscover what the Spirit of God can do in you.